Chapter Fifteen of East by West: A Journey in the Recess, Volume Two, by Henry W. Lucy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Fifteen: The Residency at Lucknow. Lucknow might well be named the city of palaces. Long the residence of the kings of Oude, it has been dowered with many imposing buildings where formerly royal state was kept and where now british officials carry on their work or the infrequent footfall echoes through tenantless rooms it would seem that whenever time hung heavy on his hands the king of oude built a new palace they are not excellent in any way and a glance at the outside as the traveller passes is sufficient to meet the requirements of the occasion prominent among a score of these royal buildings is the Hosseinabad Imambara, with which the third king of Oude endowed the city. Like many of the ancient buildings in India, it is a mausoleum, enclosing the tombs of the king and his mother. It is a poor, gaudy place, with a confusion of glass chandeliers, coloured glass globes, looking-glasses, and other devices calculated to please the minds of children. The prophetic eye of the king, foreseeing a time when, in default of special arrangements, his tomb would be neglected, and his globes and his chandeliers left unpolished, he bequeathed a sum of money sufficient to keep up an establishment of servants, who lounge about the place and pounce upon visitors with demands for bakshish. Once a year, on the anniversary of the lamented death of this monarch, there is a great flare-up of candles within the mausoleum and of lamps in the courtyard and garden this is a highly popular festival and serves to keep green the memory of mohammed ali shah broad roads flank the quarter of palaces and not examined too closely the big white-fronted houses look well seen through the vista of green trees the native town is much like that of any other Indian city where over two hundred thousand natives congregate. There are narrow streets and interminable bazaars populated chiefly by sellers. Here, as elsewhere, it is a marvel how these shops can be kept open. Everybody is busy manufacturing articles for sale or calmly smoking awaiting the arrival of a customer. But the customer comes only at rare intervals and though he makes a terrible noise when he arrives that will not strike the balance of the long blank in the day's business in these indian bazaars business is conducted on a literal adaptation of the principle much cry and little wool or little cotton goods muslin brasswork inlaid metal gold embroidery or pottery as the case may be for englishmen the real interest of lucknow lingers round the looped and windowless raggedness of the residency held by a handful of gallant men during the mutiny the residency is approached through a broad portland place-like thoroughfare in the quarter of palaces eighty-three years ago it was resigned by the reigning nawab for the use of the british resident at his court the bailey guard gate the outpost of the gallant defenders of the residency is now a few ruined walls eloquently pitted with bullet marks where in eighteen fifty seven the native city stood creeping close up to the walls of the residency compound a fair park now smiles 
it has been the policy of the British, alike at Delhi, Cawnpore, and Lucknow, while preserving the memorials of the defence of the beleaguered loyal troops, to level with the ground the congeries of houses from which the mutineers poured their shot and shell. Close by the Bailey guard gate, so called from Colonel Bailey, the officer who commanded the first residence escort, is Dr. Freyra's house. Hither Sir Henry Lawrence was carried on receiving his fatal wound, and here he died. A roofless chamber in this battered house bears the inscription, Here Sir Henry Lawrence died, July the 4th, 1857. There is an underground room where a number of ladies and children passed through the dreadful days of the siege, with shot and shell whistling overhead, and the slow progress of the day marked by the deadly cannonade. Every morning at daybreak it began, continued till the heat of noon came on, then fell away to begin again in the afternoon and continue as long as light lasted. When relief came, and the garrison with its womankind had been quietly withdrawn in the dead of the night, the mutineers, breaking in and mad with rage to find their prey had escaped, vented their fury on the dumb sticks and stones of the house, smashing everything that was breakable even to the stone staircases. The residency must in its time have been a pleasant house, standing on one of the highest spots of ground in the city, with a fine view of the country beyond. Entrance is obtained by one of those broad, lofty porticoes that are a feature in all Indian houses of the better class. At some distance in front, just behind the Bailey guard gate, is the banqueting hall, where gloomy state dinners and gayer balls were given before the trouble came. This building admirably served as a hospital during the siege. Like all other outbuildings, the banqueting hall is battered with cannon-shot and perforated with bullets. As for the residency itself, it is simply a heap of ruins. On a mound close by is a prim Maltese cross, reared, quote, in memory of Sir Henry Lawrence and the brave men who fell in defence of the residency, end quote. It is a poor, mean-looking thing to stand as the official memento of so glorious a deed, but Englishmen have always been more successful in doing great deeds than in commemorating them in marble or brass. The true memento of the defence of Lucknow, and the only one needed, is the picturesque ruin of the residency itself. Every portion of a wall standing, every roofless room entered, has its story written in the sharp, decisive handwriting of cannon or rifle. Here is the room where Sir Henry Lawrence was sitting at breakfast on the 2nd of July, 1857, when a shell came in through the window and mortally wounded him. It is a small room, looking on to a veranda with a tower beyond. If the gunner who laid the mortar had seen the British resident across the intervening space and through brick walls, he could not have taken surer aim. The hole in the outer wall through which the shell passed still exists precisely as it was made, and one can clearly trace its course across the veranda, through the window, and into the little room where Sir Henry sat, apparently in full security. Here is the Tykana to which a former Begum was wont to retire from the heats of summer. It is some feet underground, 
and no place could have been better designed for the purpose to which it was put during the siege, when two hundred and fifty women and children lived here, or rather here died daily. When the Begum dwelt here, fresh air and sunlight came in through the carefully constructed portholes near the roof. With a constant hail of shot and shell raining on the place, it was not felt permissible to leave these apertures unguarded. They were accordingly blocked up, and in darkness, with scanty supplies of fresh air, sick in body and sore at heart, women and children dwelt in this chamber for five months and five days. One morning, in spite of all precaution, a shot found its way through one of the blocked-up windows, and a deep hole low down on the opposite wall shows where it landed. No one was hurt, but one lady died of fright. Food and water were brought to the prisoners through a secret underground passage communicating with the Taikana. Like the house of Dr. Freyra, this carries proof of the fury of the mutineers when they leapt over the mud walls of the entrenchment and entered the silent and deserted residency. Having no English men and women to slash and hack, they turned with impotent fury upon the very stone staircases of the Taikana and broke them down. Here is the guard-room, next door to the fatal breakfast-room, where six soldiers were buried alive in the ruins created by a shell. Here is the tower, honeycombed with cannon-shot, on the top of which, day after day, some gallant officer volunteered to stand, telescope in hand, and report the movements of the mutineers. Shot and shell flying around the residency constantly struck here and there, but this tall tower, on which the British flag defiantly floated, was a mark always being struck, and the marvel is that so much stands. Here is the flagstaff, cut in twain by a cannonball in the early days of the siege, patched together with iron hoops, and once more carrying the flag before the exultant shouts of the mutineers had gone the full round of their camp. The flag, riddled with shots, is still preserved, and on Christmas days and Sundays floats from the patched-up flagstaff on the old tower, looking out on a scene in strange contrast with that it witnessed in 1857. Except the Taikana, which is really a cellar, there is not a roof to any chamber in the residency. Very early in the siege the upper rooms were rendered untenable, and the work of destruction was finished when the mutineers broke in. Throughout the grounds, dwarf brick pillars marked the places where the various batteries stood. One place not marked, though it is worthy of a tablet, is the drain through which Mr. Kavanagh made his way into the city, and so on to the Alambag with a letter to Sir Henry Havelock, who had established himself there with the relief column. Mr. Kavanagh had dressed himself as a native, but a man cannot creep through a mile or so of drain-pipe without obtaining a suspicious appearance. As he emerged at the other end of the drain, he was arrested and taken before the rebel leaders, but succeeded in getting off and placed his missive safely in the hands of Sir Henry Havelock. The churchyard behind the residency is full of interesting memorials of the siege. Of the little church itself, the mutineers scarcely left one stone standing upon another. Near its ruins is a plain marble slab bearing the legend, Here lies Henry Lawrence, who tried to do his duty. 
This is the full inscription as usually quoted, and it would seem difficult to spoil its touching simplicity. This has, however, been done by the curious rider, so familiar in the death sentences of the judges in the Old Bailey, May the Lord have mercy on his soul. There is an odd monument over the grave of a lady burnt by the explosion of a shell. The slab on the top is carved into curious convolutions, designed, it is said, to simulate the blisters which broke out over the unfortunate lady's body. There is a monument over the grave of the lady killed in the Tykana by a shot that never touched her, sacred, so the inscription runs, to the memory of the young wife of Captain Lancelot, who died of fright, 16th of July, 1857. In one corner of the churchyard is a little cluster of graves where lie the children who did not survive their baptism of fire. As we stood by the pillar marking the position of one of the hottest batteries, served only by volunteers, two jackals trotted into the compound outside the graveyard, and lifting up their voices piteously howled. But this was the only note of discord in a place where the peace of a summer day reigned, and where, under the shade of the sacred peepul-tree and the tower-like tamarind, the sorely tried sojourners in the residency take their rest. End of chapter 15